Morning, everyone. How am I sounding? Am I doing all right? I am, have the privilege of preaching the second part of our series through Easter called Triumphant. And uh, we're going to look at a text I doubt that you've ever heard before on Good Friday. And if you have your Bibles, won't you please open up to Numbers 21. Numbers 21 verse 4. We have got it on the screen if you didn't bring your Bible with you, but I encourage you each week to do so. It's wonderful to hold the Word of God and to know where you're looking at in it. Uh, Numbers 21 verse 4. And we're going to look at an Old Testament picture which has a New Testament Easter application. That's very powerful today. And I hope that this message will come, although in a fresh way, it will come with a, a wonderful sense of the glory of what Good Friday is all about personally for you. And so let's read about a moment in Israel where she experienced great mercy despite her sin. And let's read from Numbers 21, verse 4. Just a reminder that this is coming at a place where Israel has been delivered from Egypt powerfully through the ten plagues. They've gone through Passover, and now they are going the long way through the wilderness to the promised land. And this is a moment when they're in the wilderness traveling um, that is a, a particular interest to us this morning. Numbers 21, verse 4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Eden. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Now that worthless food they were talking about was manna, come from heaven every morning except on the Sabbath day, and quail every evening. They, they are saying to God, this miraculous act of provision, it's worthless. We, 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 we hate it. We're sick of it. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents against the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he Take away the serpents from us. Take away this judgment against our sin. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now let's turn to John chapter 3, verse 14, to see our Easter application today. John chapter 3, verse 14. And this is what the Apostle John writes. He says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. 
And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Friends, I want to remind you that Good Friday, we call it this remembering the cross, is because God had to do something profound to rescue humanity from the greatest power under God himself, which is sin and death. Sin is not something light and and breezy that that you kind of uh, plop into and pull yourself out of. We are in the grip as humanity of this power of sin and its consequences of death. And the fundamental reason why you are here this morning and why the world to some degree has paused for a, a, a public holiday is because we are remembering that Christ's crucifixion on the cross was to deal with the greatest problem in your life, which is called sin. I want to remind you this morning that your problem is not the lack of money in your bank accounts. Your problem is not the kind of house that you live in compared to your next-door neighbor. The greatest fundamental problem you face, my friend, is how sin has affected your relationship with God. And when the very first moment Jesus rocked up publicly to the world, John the Baptist said one great statement about Jesus. He said, behold, look at the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so, friends, when we are talking about the cross this morning, we are talking about God's means of victory over his greatest enemy. And when we are remembering the blood of Jesus poured out, we are, we are seeing the greatest triumph, greater than the, the campaigns of Alexander the Great or Napoleon, greater than the, the, the greatest human victory ever seen on planet Earth. Friends, the cross and the moments of victory over sin was a triumph that heaven and earth was gobsmacked by as they witnessed it. And today, friends, we remember that there is victory over this great enemy of sin and death because of Jesus. And I want us to pause this morning because what we see in this Old Testament text of these these people being bitten by serpents because of judgment upon sin, it's an Old Testament picture of the nature of sin. And unless we understand the problem this morning, We don't understand the beauty of God's means of rescue. And my first point this morning is we want to look at the nature of sin. And can I remind you this morning that the essence of sin, please listen to me carefully, is ingratitude towards God. These guys grumbled against God. And although day by day they were experiencing this manna from God in the morning and quail in the evening, God was supplying them directly from heaven, it was not enough. God's works and his words were not enough for them. And and they say in Numbers 21 verse 5, and the people spoke against God and against Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and water. In other words, what God was giving was not enough. And they say, and we loathe this worthless food. Can I say to you this morning, you live off God's mercy every day. This is his world, friends. The reason why you breathe is because he willed your life into being. He chose the day of your birth, your parents. He breathed life into those little souls when that sperm and ovum came together. You were formed by the power of God. And friends, today, this whole world, every ounce of food you eat, 
the, the possessions in your home and the car you drive, the money in your bank account, it all belongs to him. And friends, the essence of sin is to reject God's goodness by going against his words and saying his works are not enough in my life. The essence of sin is to live in such a way where God doesn't matter. Is that you think, well, I'm my own person. I get to do what I want. I get to live as I please. And, and his commands, well, they don't matter. This stuff is mine. This body is mine. I can, I can independently do what I like. I want to remind you this morning that we sin, in essence, is considering God's goodness as worthless and his words as worthless. And it's to reject God's goodness when we go our own way against his commands. And sin is to say to God, you are not enough. I know better. I know how to live. And I live in such a way where I don't give you credit for what you've done for me and the way that you have been so good to me, knowing that your kindness has kept me alive. No, no, sin is this attitude towards God to say, you're not enough. I reject you. I, I, I have got no gratitude in my heart towards you. I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing and live as if I myself am in full control. And friends, I want to remind you that attitude in the human heart puts us under judgment. God is not neutral towards sin this morning. And the cross can look all pretty in its lovely fabric and flowing down, and you can feel all sentimental about it, right? But I want to remind you this morning that our sin has a positive action in God's heart towards it, and it is one of judgment. Uh, the Lord is not neutral. He doesn't say, oh, well, we'll just let them be. Maybe they'll come to their senses. You know what he does? It says in, in Numbers 21, verse 5, the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. This is a matter of life and death in this nation in how they were treating God. The same is true for you this morning. And John 3 verse 18 tells us, whoever believes in him is not condemned, talking about Jesus, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. We are under judgment for our sin outside of Christ. And I want to remind you this morning that sin is very much the picture of this Old Testament. You know what the consequences of sin is like in your life? It's like being bitten by a serpent. You know, a snake creeps up on you and bites without you realizing it. It's not like you run into a snake's arms and say, bite me, bite me, come on. You, you, are, you are getting These people felt they were, they were right. They were living the way they wanted to rejecting God's word and his goodness towards them. And, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there was consequence to their sin. They were bitten by a snake without them realizing it. And then when they were bitten, it was too late. And friends, I want to say sin and its consequences are subtle and deceptive. Sin tastes so good in your mouth, but becomes bitter in your stomach. And we can live right now as if, oh, God doesn't matter. Oh, it doesn't matter. We, we'll do as we please, and, we, and we're living great lives, and we can forget about this God and consequences to disobeying His Word. And, and as we live, and then one day, friends, you'll be called to stand before God, and you might not have the luxury of being able to decide it will be a slow cancer which will lead me to death, or I'll live, get to 80, and then at 79, I'll, I'll, I'll start taking God seriously. You know, yeah, Friends, sin has a way. The consequences of death, which is sin has a way of, of biting us before we expect it. You know, nobody that I speak to, very, actually, let me quickly, only Christians who understand the, the glory of eternal life say that they've lived a good life. Many people, when I speak to them on their deathbed, will say, I wish I had more time. 
I wish I had lived a different way. There are regrets around how they've, they've used the grace gift of days. And friends, I want to say, this, this consequences of sin, it, it, it comes and bites you before you, ex- before you even expect it. Suddenly, your marriage is on the rock. Suddenly, you, you've been, you found out at work, and, and Jesus is very clear. He says, beware, your, your sins will find you out. And, and you will find that what tasted so sweet for a moment has consequences that are so painful. In this life, oh, but also the next and what we tend to do is we tend to live. I say, oh, eternity doesn't matter. God doesn't matter. We'll just carry on and do what we like, and we'll live the way we please. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves shocked that we've been bitten by the consequences of the sin we left. And the consequences of, of, of venom, of a snake, is the same consequences of sin. It's lethal. It's lethal. Sin has death for the human being, starting in this life. You want to indulge sin in your marriage, you will not have a happy one. You want to hold on to unforgiveness and bitterness, you will see your family collapse. You want to hold on to pride in your work, no one can correct you, no one can teach you. You want to see holding on to sin, it will cause damage, my friend. It will damage your body, it will damage the people around you, and most importantly, it will damage your relationship with God. It's lethal. Sin never wins. Sin only kills. And we know it from um, um, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, it says, the wages of sin is death. And it says in Numbers 21, so that many people in Israel died from this, from this venom, from this vi- these vipers. And I want to say to you this morning, friends, John 3 verse 18 is very clear. Sin will kill you in this life and it will kill you in the next. It's lethal. And it's lethal to the Christian. Can I just remind you, Paul is talking to Christians in Galatia. He's saying in Galatians 5, verse 9 to 21, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife. Listen to these. Jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I warn you, Christians in Galatia, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You will lose something that God still wants to give you. You won't lose your position in Christ but you will lose what God still wants to give you because of your position in Christ. This generation did not get into the promised land. They didn't go back to Egypt, but because of their persistence sin, it cost them dearly, and they could not get it back. And I want to say again this morning that being bitten by a snake is very much the same as the consequences of sin. It takes time for sin to have its full effect, just like that venom. When it bites, you don't die immediately but the clock is ticking. We are here this morning because the clock is ticking. And a fool lives thinking that life lasts forever. It doesn't. And these guys, I want you to picture being bitten by a snake. And, and, and it doesn't say, you know, only the worst of the people were. <laughs> Do you know what happens when you, you, you are bitten by a snake? You start to panic, Right? Any of you been bitten by a snake here? Anyone? Anyone put up your hand? It's not fun, right? And I remember one person that, that, that we, we did this Disney uh, nature thing um, where there's Jack Randall, I think he's called, and he plays with snakes. Uh, I don't know how that guy is still alive, but anyway, the point of it is when that snake bites, he is actually terrified handling poisonous snakes. You know, one bite. He can't get to a hospital in time. That venom's going to play its way out, and he's going to die. And friends, it's the same. <laughs> The second that we sin, or we've actually born into sin, we, we're on a clicking talk, uh, a, a ticking clock, 
is, is you start to have limited time. And these people who were bitten by a snake, they had to find help. They had to find rescue. It wasn't if they're going, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go to sleep and I'll just, I'll wake up feeling all good about it. And then when I've got the time, I'll deal with it. Friends, when they were bitten, they had to run for help because there was limited time. And it's the same with sin. Can I ask you this morning, is there urgency in your heart around the way you are relating to God? Is there a sense of urgency around areas in your life which you know are not right with Him? Friends, this example of the Old Testament and sin is a great example of seeing how sin affects the believer and the unbeliever. And we need rescue. And the only way that there was rescue offered in this Old Testament text and offered in John 3 is through saving faith. And uh, the same means that there's a correlation here. Jesus said, this lifting up of the serpent in the wilderness by Moses and people running and looking to it and being healed from a lethal venom, from a lethal consequence of sin, is the same thing that's going to happen to the Son of Man being lifted up upon a cross. And the world, looking to this Jesus hanging on there, finding rescue from their lethal consequences of their sin. And I want to help us today to know how has God set up a means of glorious, gracious rescue for a world trapped under the judgment of sin. This picture of the Old Testament is what the cross means in the new. How can you be rescued from your sin this morning and its lethal consequences? Well, it is choosing to take God at his word. Now, I just want to push pause for a moment. How would you have felt after you have been bitten by a lethal snake and this old worm says to you, you have to go look at probably not a great artwork, <laughs> I don't know if Moses was a great artisan, doesn't ever say that, that he's made of a snake on a pole put in the ground. And if you can get to that pole in time and just look at it, you don't have to talk to it. You don't have to offer a sacrifice. You don't have to bring, you don't have to pay for it. You don't, you don't, all you have to do is you have to go and you have to get there and look at it as your means of rescue and you get healed. Now, wouldn't you in your logical brain go, that is ridiculous. Let's just be honest here. Don't be all self-righteous and knowledgeable about Good Friday. Wouldn't you, if it was you hearing about this for the first time, go, that is insane. Can I get a nod? Thank you. For a moment, I thought, come on, guys, let's be real here this morning. These people heard the words of Moses that said, if you get bitten and you just come and look at this, you will be healed. Now, if it was me as a pharmacist, I don't know, I probably would have been called an apothecary or maybe a medicine man in those days. I don't know. Give me the medicine. You know, give me some help from a doctor. Get, take me to something that is, I can see and put my trust and faith in and go, well, this is practical. This is logical. Surely I should pay for this. Surely there should be something that I should do. No, friends, it's something that you must see and something that you must hope in and something that you must run to as being your only hope for salvation and rescue. That is what saving faith is like, is you have to believe 
God's word that if you look to Jesus on the cross, like those people that had to run for their lives, this wasn't, oh, I'll just one day amble the cross and I'll go and see this lovely little artwork, maybe take some notes, maybe go away and think about it some more, maybe come back again, you know, and, and no, these guys were running. They saw this and they were running. There is my hope. Oh, save me. They had to listen to God's word to them as the means of rescue. And illogical or not, you know, however much it offends your reason, it didn't matter if they believed and they showed it through the action of trusting and going towards this pole with this thing, they were saved. Can I say to you this morning, those of you who have not yet come to faith in Jesus Christ, it will feel illogical for you to have to trust in something that happened 2,000 years ago, the Son of God hanging on a cross. The natural human response is, how can I be better? Right? I ask many of you when we do our membership class, when we do um, dedication, I ask you, if you had to die tonight, some of you know it well, and God asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? So many of us say, well, I try to be a good person. I try to read my Bible. Well, that makes sense because in our way of thinking is we have to do something in order to get something in this life. Nothing is for free. Nothing is outside of my efforts or my performance, friends. This is something which declares to you, you cannot save yourself. And today, to trust God's word, which is the gospel. That's why the gospel is a message. Have you ever thought about that? Why must you believe a message of God to be saved? Well, because it's through a message that these people believe that if they looked upon that serpent on that pole, they'll be delivered from their sin. They'll be saved. It was believing God's word. That's where it starts to become a Christian. And friends, as Christians, we never change our attitude towards believing God's word. Faith is not being living by what you see. Faith is living by what God has said. I ask you this morning, what does the cross mean to you? God's word says, this is the only way to be saved. And you must demonstrate it, my friend, by something very practical in your life. It's not a feeling it is a cry of our hearts of running and believing God's word and saying, I'm coming to the cross. I'm coming to this Jesus. He has invited me to come and said, this is the way. This is the truth. This is the life. This is Jesus as my means of rescue. I believe it, and it's my only hope. And friends, the second you take God at its word, you will realize it's true. Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 says, every word of God proves true. You will not enter into the blessing of God's provision for you until you believe his word. Faith is vindicated on the other side. In Numbers 21 verse 9, it says, So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live, and live. He received life. He's got his life back from death. The second he believed God's word, he received the blessing of forgiveness. He received the blessing of healing. He received the blessing of receiving life. And I, I want to say saving faith is not just choosing to take God at his word. It's not only vindicated on the other side of belief. It is a hope utterly outside yourself. These people could do nothing to save themselves. They had to look to another way. And friends, that is the moment you become a Christian. 
is when you see Jesus is my only hope. And you cannot work. That's why you are saved by faith through grace. Is, is These guys could only look and be healed. They did not have to do anything more. The way of salvation is open for you this morning if you will see Jesus for who he is and then cling to him, looking to him and saying, there is my means of rescue. And church, I, I want to land by saying we must see the magnitude of God's grace in both of these stories. God makes a way for these people to be rescued. Please look at me this morning. He gave them what they didn't deserve. And this morning you might say, oh my goodness, do I just have to look to Jesus as my only hope? Yes, I don't deserve that. Surely I have to be something more. Could it be that simple for me to look upon the grace of God in Jesus Christ, lifted up on the cross and going, Jesus, rescue me. I'm looking to you. One look I believe will, will rescue me from my sin, will give me forgiveness, will set me right with God. Friends, is it that simple? Yes, but it's massive grace that enables it. We must never feel entitled to what we benefit from in the cross. We must always feel humbled. Because God is giving what we don't deserve. And it wasn't just a little bronze serpent carved out by some man. Friends, can I remind us this morning, it was God's dear and only son that was raised up for the rescue of the world. And the right response this morning is to see that God did it and we didn't deserve it. The right response is to see the glory of the Son of God given to us as a gift. And, and the worth of Jesus to the Father being poured out upon a people undeserving should make us a people of great gratitude, of great wonder, and great humility before the God of heaven. And that Jesus, you must remember, when, when Moses lifted up that serpent in, in the wilderness, that serpent was the judgment of sin. Those serpents were sent out to bite the Israelites, and it was the judgment upon their sin. So Jesus on the cross is the picture of God's judgment upon sin so that it might not fall upon us. And that's why Moses lifts up the consequence of sin, the judgment of sin, which is the vipers in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ is lifted up on the cross. He is the picture of God dealing with sin outside of us, praise God, of, of the punishment falling on another, of there being an, a merciful rescue that we didn't deserve because the Son of God becoming the way that, uh, of, of, of rescue through being the judgment upon the sin that was rightfully ours. He became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What a rescue. What a rescue. But you see, I land this morning on my final point is that there's always a mixed response to the gospel. I wish preaching today God promised that everybody would see Jesus for who he is and say yes. But John tells us in John 3, verse 19 to 21, and this is the judgment. The light has come. Christ has come. Emmanuel, God with us, has come. The anointed one, the one that was the, the shadow in, as the pole and the serpent on it in the Old Testament, has come. The full light has come in Jesus Christ now. He's arrived. He's died. The pole is, is set up. 
for planet Earth to come. The cross is there for everybody who needs, uh, who feels their need for rescue to come to Jesus. He's there. It's provided. But what does it say? The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. What John is saying is some will prefer the short-sighted pleasures of sin rather than come to the one who exposes it and shows the judgment of God upon it. They'll rather live in ignorance. They'll rather darken their minds towards the glory of Jesus. They'll rather suppress the truth of a God of glory who clearly has designed planet Earth, who's, who's clearly set this whole world up graciously for the existence of human beings. They'll rather live in darkness. They'll rather suppress the truth by their unrighteous deeds than come to the lights and have them dealt with and experience the mercy of God. Which will you be this morning? Because in this room, God says, some will come, others will will run, others will, will stay, stay. Can I remind you this morning, friends, Good Friday, is God's mercy available to the world, but the world has to come. You might be experiencing the consequences of sin today, but unless those Israelites ran to that pole to look upon that serpent raised up in the wilderness, it's the, they could not experience healing. There it was. It was available. Anybody could come who could see that they need, that they were bitten by the, these snakes. They could come and get healing there. Friends, the same is true today. The cross is available for the world. Oh, but you have to come. You have to come. Can I just say one more time this morning? If you are going to hold into a life that fights God, that, looks, that, that loves sin, you will, you, will, you will lose it. You will lose it. No one wins holding on to that which is darkness because when the light shines, it will be exposed anyway. On the day you stand before God and, and you reject Jesus, all that you've done outside of him will be, will be shown to you and the world. Oh, but friends, for the one who comes to Jesus, who will come to the light this morning, who will look upon the cross and say, there is my rescue. There's my only hope for healing. There's my hope for eternal life. You can experience the joy of your sin being judged already. You see, when you believe the cross and what Christ did for you, your judgment is passed because you have received Christ who became God's judgment of sin for you. And you can stand before God and say, God, why should you let me into heaven? Oh, because Christ has died and your righteous judgment of sin is satisfied. And you've promised in your words to give me life eternal. So can I ask you today, will you come to Jesus? You must come. You must look to him as your only hope. But I also want to challenge the Christian this morning. Why go back to that which God had to deliver you from? If you know sin doesn't pay, why love it? Why live so close to hell, although you are a citizen of heaven? Why live in such a way that you know, crucified the Son of God, when what he's offering you is far better and will be rewarded forever? The cross stands for both the not-yet-believer and the believer this morning. For the not yet believer, you must look upon Jesus Christ and his payment for your sin on the cross and be saved. For the believer, 
you remember, I am never going back to what God had to deliver me from at such a price. And my heart as a Christian this morning to Good Friday is gratitude. It's wonder. It's loyalty to Jesus. It's loyalty to what he paid. It's loyalty to the grace and goodness of God. To live a life of obedient faith is to acknowledge the kindness of God that led us to repentance. And to do honor to the way of God that will be vindicated one day when Christ comes again. Righteousness. Faithfulness. Loyalty to Jesus. Will be remembered. Let's live like it this morning. Let's pray. I want to give an opportunity to anybody here this morning that wants to receive Christ. When you heard God's word this morning, did you feel the weight of your sin? That is a gift, my friend, because the human being doesn't easily feel it. Jesus said it's the Holy Spirit that convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. If you can feel the bite of your sin this morning and the clock that is ticking and your need for Jesus, you must respond. The Lord is drawing you in. Honor him. Honor the mercy that God is pouring out in your life today to come and see Jesus for who he is. And you, what you must do is, as those people looked at that serpent lifted up in the wilderness, you look to Jesus with the eye of faith. You look to the cross and you say to Jesus this morning, you are my only hope, rescue me. Look to him. Look to him. Hold on to him in your heart by faith as if he is your only hope. Because he is. He's your only hope. You say to Jesus this morning, rescue me from my sin. Forgive me and make me yours. Would you say that to Jesus this morning? But then, Lord, I also want to pray for the believer. I pray that as we leave this place, we would be in wonder at the magnitude of grace that has offered such a salvation to those who don't deserve it. I was thinking in worship this morning, Lord, about that scripture where those disciples came back and had cast out demons and they'd preached so powerfully. And you said to them, don't rejoice that the, the demons are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in the book of heaven, in the Lamb's book of life. And I pray this morning that we will never go back. We would never love sin ever again when we see how much it costs to rescue us from it. Make us a people loyal to Jesus and full of humble gratitude and eager to please him. Help us not grumble in these days, Lord, like those old Israelites saying this food that you provide for us, that is worthless. Oh, Lord, we pray today, make us a people full of gratitude, full of worship, full of wonder. We're so grateful for the way that you've rescued us. In your precious name. Amen. I want to challenge you this morning. If you want to chat to any of us after the service, maybe you came to faith for the first time this day. Would you come and speak to us? We'll be here in the front. Or if you came with a Christian that loves Jesus, won't you talk to them about it? Uh, this is just the start. But friends, let's live close to the cross this Easter and enjoy Jesus. We'll see you on Sunday.